Thank you for attending. We are very excited to present this panel, which is being moderated by Michael Atkin, who is the managing director of ERM Council and a faculty member. Uh, and we're glad to be able to kind of bridge the gap as we were talking between academics and the career design lab. So I really, truly hope that you get a tremendous amount out of this panel. And let's give them a big hand. Okay, thank you. Greetings, welcome, thank you for coming. Um, I've actually been the analyst and uh, troublemaker in the industry for now going on 35 years. Um, we're gonna do a conversation about data meaning. Right? So this whole discussion is about the objective of data management, which is managing the meaning of data. And just recognize that data is a representation of something, a real thing. So the goal is to make sure that the data is an accurate, consistent, trusted representation of that thing. The challenge that we've all have, of course, is that data has been managed vertically in silos across organizations, and now we're trying to link it up horizontally. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and we're going to do this in uh, three acts. Right? So the first act is going to be all about um, the, the positioning and the rationale, the objectives, why there's a data problem, what the outcomes are supposed to be, etc. The second act is going to be all about meaning. What does it mean to manage the meaning of data? And the third act is going to be about governance and about organizational alignment, and what does it mean to get um, uh, organizations to behave in a different way than they did? So I've invited a big panel to, uh, to uh, help me with this. This is going to be an interactive discussion. Uh, you are invited, encouraged, to be part of that interaction. In fact, Steve, Steve, raise your hand, who used to work for Mars Candy Bars, brought some incentives for those that are willing to engage with us there is uh, sweet treats from Mars available. Um, so uh, let's just start off by some introductions. Um, who are you and what do you do and what is your responsibilities? We'll start over there with Julia, who has been in a job now for, what, five days? Six. Six days. Yeah. <laughs> so you know everything. Yeah, I now know everything, yes. Yeah. So I'm Julia Bartmesser. I just started at Boya Financial. I'm head of data, architecture, and analytics. So it's a big uh, remit, and I'm learning right now what the, exactly does that mean in this company. I came into Voya from Deutsche Bank, where I was the head of data integration, and I was concentrating more on as meaning of data, metadata, around data lineage, data quality, front-to-back data quality. And before that, I spent more than five years at City uh, in the chief data office land, uh, anywhere from business data architecture to data policies, data modeling, so all of that. And I have a long history, which I'm not going to go into in any amount of detail right now, of uh, managing data and managing analytics in different financial services companies. Steve. Yep. Hi, I'm Steve Hoberman, and I'm a data modeler. I started my data modeling career with Bell Labs in New Jersey. I was right on a data modeling think tank. And I was there a number of years and then worked on Wall Street for a few years and then for M&M Mars Candy, which we'll be giving these out throughout the session. And for the last dozen years or so, I've been doing a lot of training in data modeling. 
and consulting. For training, I teach a three-day data modeling class for organizations around the world. I've trained over 10,000 people since 1992. And for consulting, I go around and I review data models from different companies around the world. I also organize a data modeling conference called Data Modeling Zone, which this year is being offered in the US, Europe, and Australia. So I've also written nine books on data modeling. So you can pretty much tell whatever I do has to have data modeling somewhere in the title. I even have a song on data modeling. And <laughs> as Mike mentioned, we want to keep it interactive. So we don't, if we don't get a lot of questions from the audience, I may have to sing this rap song on data modeling. <laughs> you can do it anyhow. You can do it. Will you join so, me? So, yeah. Steve, I, that, that, that tells me that uh, ontology is not a four-letter word in this discussion. And we will absolutely <laughs> engage in that. Yes. That's, that's what fantastic. I was um, Hi, everyone. I'm Anaket Diostali. I'm the director of data and analytics at Bonobos, which is a part of uh, Walmart e-commerce. Prior to Bonobos, I was the head of analytics and data science at Blink Health, and then I was at, prior to that, I was at Assembly Media. So I was in ad tech and then in healthcare technology, uh, and now I'm here in, in e-tail, uh, retail and e-commerce at Bonobos. So my my day-to-day is spent, even though I, I oversee our data warehouse uh, a- analytics and uh, some of the data science, most of my time is actually spent being a, a product owner for our data function and making business cases to uh, improve our ability to make data useful to the organization. So I'm happy to and excited to talk to you all about what that might mean. Okay, everybody, please move your microphones closer. This is a big room. We'll make sure everybody can hear. Uh, Anakin, I was hoping that you were one of our few actual users of data, but it turns out that you're just a data geek like the rest of us. Guilty. So so we'll we'll find a user. I think, uh, Mark, you might be the only one remaining. Uh, Peter. Hey, uh, everybody. My name is Peter Delenheer. I'm the founder of Colibra, which is a data governance software company. Uh, I started my career, uh, well, I, I did my PhD around 2000s, which was like the time of the semantic web, right? Everybody got crazy. Uh, the web was there, but then we needed to have all this, uh, this ontology, semantic technology. So I, I kind of uh, learned my trades in the semantic technology and applications research lab at the University of Brussels. And when I finished my PhD, we started Colibra because we thought uh, nine years ago now, um, data is a valuable asset, right? So we started this company, we got some seed capital, and nobody believed us. We, they, they thought we were just uh, crazy to say that data is a valuable asset. So we're now nine years later, and now everybody screams it from the roofs that data is a new oil and data is a valuable asset, even the economists. So I think a lot of tides are changing, right? We are not just doing data governance just to regulate, but we're also doing data governance to democratize data science, right? To, to do data science, to have access to data. And currently we're serving about 300 uh, clients targeting in the Fortune 1000 category globally. So most of our business is here in the United States. So when I first met uh, Calibra, um, it was a conference, and I was the only person in the audience. And now Calibra (laughs) is the number one governance software um, uh, platform uh, in the industry. And that growth has been meteoric, and we'll talk about why that is. Christine. Hi, I'm Christine Chang-Sarinsky. I uh, run the Enterprise Data Office at Morgan Stanley. Um, We are one of the few banks of our size without a chief data officer. And so my job is to introduce the, and uh, uh, I guess 
uh, manage the governance layer to be as light while still being commercial. Uh, and so that's, um, that, that means, um, you know, empowering the data owners to actually do their job. So we're going to talk a little bit about the challenge of how do you get people to behave versus how do you promote innovation and make sure that the data is a tool for people to use. It's really a critical topic. Jody. Hi, I'm Jody Morton. I work for Freddie Mac, and I lead a business-driven data organization for our largest business at Freddie Mac, which is our single-family business, and that's the business that buys single-family mortgages. Um, from the banks. So we have 10.5 million mortgages in our portfolio, just to give you a sense of the size. Um, so three and a half years ago, the head of our business recognized that data was a valuable asset of the business um, and asked me to stand up uh, the organization. Before that, I was a data user because I spent my first 20 plus years in finance and accounting. And so I spent a lot of time at Freddie Mac swimming upstream, solving all the problems because all data problems roll downhill into finance. Um, and we can't have that because of things like controls and Sarbanes-Oxley compliance and all that good stuff. So I knew an awful lot about our data ecosystem um, when I was asked to take on the problem and the challenge to actually change the way we think about data from being just, you know, um, debits and credits and information about mortgages to actually a strategic asset of the business. And I'm responsible for everything from governance through the business management of all of our large data platforms, including our um, Hadoop ecosystem and other large reporting marts. Risk and finance, the two control functions of which everything rolls up, so you need a horizontal view mm -hmm. across the organization in order to manage both of those tasks, and they are, are data-driven. Mr. Foote. Um, th thank you, and uh, uh, good afternoon. Um, so I have the, the, the dubious distinction of announcing the first data quality problem on the data quality panel. Um, uh, identifier metadata is uh, inaccurate, so here's my identifier. Um, it says I'm a senior policy advisor at the U.S. Treasury. Um, that used to be the case. Um, I, uh, I am now a research principal uh, at uh, um, uh, U.S. Treasury, um, uh, Ph.D. in finance, uh, um, uh, I, I come to this topic dishonestly, so uh, um, I, I came to, to Washington almost 20 years ago and, and uh, thought I was going to be doing traditional finance research. Uh, I was working at the Office of Thrift Supervision, uh, um, and uh, while I was there, the, uh, the bottom fell out on our stress testing model because there were a lot of innovative mortgage products uh, <laughs> on, on the market the, uh, in those days, and uh, this big data vortex opened up, and we all got sucked into it. Uh, um, uh, we didn't know to call it big data at the time, um, but I ended up, uh, they, they shut down the research group, they moved us all over into risk management, and I spent the next uh, uh, three and a half years there doing data modeling for risk systems, uh, um, uh, discovered that the Federal Housing Finance Board had an almost identical problem, um, mm -hmm. and uh, spent the next uh, three years there doing data modeling for risk systems. Uh, um, uh, along the way, I decided it was, uh, um, it was a problem that's not going away. Uh, um, you know, we, we learned to call it big data somewhere in the meantime. Uh, um, but I also decided it was a really interesting problem, fun to work on. Um, and so my research these days, I'm in the fundamental research group at uh, the Office of Financial Research in U.S. Treasury. Uh, um, uh, we do uh, systemic risk monitoring, um, and uh, so all my research has a financial stability uh, facet to it, but uh, um, it's also got uh, some sort of measurement or data modeling uh, or, or, or data transparency uh, aspect to it as well. 
So just understand that the challenge of systemic risk across the entire financial system is the challenge that you've been facing. And, the, and the, to deal with that problem, you have to collect data from all these banks all over the world, make sure it's the same so you can unravel their aggregates and feed different models to get a view of the system. And we can't do that then, and we still can't do that now. Which leads us to our opening question, right? What, what is the goal of data management? What are the, when you look at the primary objective of data management, how would you see it? So let's keep this short answers and conversation across us so anybody feel free. In your opinion, what's the goal? Why are we doing this? Judy. I would say so it's part of the mission statement of my organization is to provide high quality data to enable the business to basically compete. Um, we have one competitor, it's Fannie Mae. Um, and so we want to be able to leverage our data better than they can leverage their data so we can stay one step ahead of them and be competitive in the market. So usually, yeah. I, I agree that definition of the data problem is making sure data is fit for purpose. So whatever it is that you want to use it, so from the regulatory perspective of systemic data risk in the U.S. markets or global markets, to competing with Fannie Mae, to uh, providing correct financials or estimating risk correctly, to growing the business, whatever it is, so the data quality or data itself has to be fit for purpose. So it's not just that it needs to be clean and good, but also needs to be well understood. And that's the portion that quite often gets forgotten because people kind of understand data quality because bad quality kind of stares at you. But the fact that even if you have reasonable looking quality, but you don't understand what this data is about, that piece is incredibly important in trying to use it, especially when you use it in the big data environment, bringing a lot of data together. If you don't know what the data is, what it means, nothing much you can do with it. You can do a lot of pretty stuff with it, but not anything particularly meaningful. So the goal is to deliver fit-for-purpose data as a factor of input into applications. Is that a concept that's well understood in the organizations that you deal with? Yes. Yeah. Christine, let's, let's take a look at it from the big bank perspective. So, the, so repeat that for me. This is the... The concept of fit for purpose yeah. as a factor of input into the right. applications that so, serve our bank. So I'll add that absolutely you need to be able to support the business uh, agenda. Uh, and so the data has to be good, right? If you want to sell the data, it's got to be good data. If you want to make decisions, if you want to make, uh, you know, use um, rules to actually drive uh, um, advice to your, your, your clients uh, on investment decisions, you know, it's got to be good data, right? Um, but, uh, but I'll add that we, uh, we also have to think about uh, being commercial. And so, um, you know, just to deliver the right data, if you're making, um, you know, a thousand adjustments along the way, from like you know, from the front office all the way to the back, uh, it's uh, then you're 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 no longer commercial. Right? Yeah. So, so perfect data is not the goal. So Anakin, I think you, you probably deal with this uh, problem um, in your organization. It's not about making sure everything is perfect. It's making sure the data is right for the application you're serving. Absolutely. So, you know, our success, so we like to say, is the sum of our decisions, and ideally you want to use data to make your decisions. And if you do that, you are an analyst. And so we look at it as everyone is an analyst. But making them successful analysts to, to answer their, their questions and make the decisions requires having a robust data set, and that requires resources. So, you know, and I look at that as generally engineering resources, and so there comes to be a prioritization decision of do we build out this data mart and this feature, or do we invest in this feature? And 
in order to be successful and provide the most amount of value to the business, given resource constraints, we have to treat this, uh, that is our data warehouse, and making data useful as a product development effort. Um, so, so I think fit for purpose is a really useful abstraction, but it um, it just moves the question back a level. Um, what is the purpose? Uh, and, and that's going to be uh, um, largely domain dependent, I think. Uh, um, the, in, in, in my world, we deal with uh, um, uh, risks in the financial system. We have the entire financial system in scope. Uh, so there are uh, potentially... Uh, thousands or tens of thousands of uh, fine-grained purposes that we could uh, worry about. There are a lot of rabbit holes you could disappear into, um, and uh, um, that's not very helpful. Uh, you can't uh, boil the ocean. Um, it, it helps to, to try to identify uh, broader uh, um, purposes or domains, and, and uh, in, in, in my world, I see three uh, broad user communities uh, that uh, um, define most of the space. So there is uh, a legal compliance world that has to be dealt with, and they've got uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, formal definition and abstraction. Uh, there's an accounting uh, um, domain that uh, produces and consumes uh, a lot of data. Again, they have a lot of formalities uh, and, 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 and formal governance that they've defined. And there's a, uh, um, a risk measurement risk modeling community uh, that we deal with, and, and a lot of those folks uh, are in academia, but there is a, a, a growing... Uh, um, formal presence in industry uh, there. And, and being able to identify the, the, the specific problem domains uh, that are going to uh, rule your life is uh, is really important part of the, the solution, I think. Okay, so um, let, me, um, let, me, let me summarize this by saying there is a simple prime directive in data management, and that's to deliver data that the users have confidence in and trust to be fit for their purpose without reconciliation and transformation. Easy to say, hard to do. So, oh, I'm sorry, Steve, you, you're I, I think busting just, a, a, a... Building on that, too, I think taking one step further back, a lot of what we do in data management has to do with one word, which is control. It's about trying to get control of the data, and that's a prerequisite to doing a lot of the things we discussed so far around data quality. And... Marks, um, the three areas you mentioned, I think even a prerequisite to that is understanding control, understanding what the data means. I mean, I did, I did a consulting assignment recently for the most prestigious hospital probably in the world, and they could not do reporting because they could not get control of their data. You mentioned the concepts. They actually could not even define what a cancer patient was. And so in order to do all the valuable things we've been talking about, the first step would be to get that control, to understand what the data means and where it comes from. All right, so let's build off of the concept of control. And in fact, now we're going to talk about why there's a problem. And in fact, what is the problems that we're facing in this industry? And um, I've got six categories I'm going to talk about, so let's do, do the first one. The first one that I hear everybody talk about is we can't, um, we can't find this data. Right? Big organizations, lots of data, can't find it. So who wants to take a shot at what's the problem there? Why can't we find this data, and how do we get our arms around inventories and systems of record and things of that nature? I could, I could just start by sharing yeah, sure. a quote. I don't know if anybody read books by T.S. Eliot, but he had a very famous quote where he said, where, where is the wisdom? It's in the knowledge. Where is the knowledge? It's in the information. And Joe Selko has written a number of books on databases over the years, added to that quote and said, well, where's the information? It's in the database somewhere. 
So it's all about finding where the data is in the database. Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Julia. Oh, problem of finding data in large organizations. So it's actually, it's interesting. You can always find data. So I haven't had yet a use case where the user from whatever area, finance, risk, compliance, or business said, I'm looking for this, uh, for this type of data and I can't find it. Usually the problem is they did find it, but it's wrong. So they found it, <laughs> they found it in the wrong place. That's not authoritative sources for this data. Uh, they found the data that looks like as if that's the right data, but in fact it's something completely different or just slightly different enough that you wouldn't notice it when you're trying to make decisions or produce numbers based on that. Right, or, and after you found this, and maybe if it's even reasonable enough, the way you source it is not really production ready. And next time you go and you get it, you get something else without realizing it. So that's the major issue. Again, it's all going back to understanding of your definitions, what's the meaning of data. If you're going for a specific thing, if you're going, for example, just you know, in my last first week at, at my new job, uh, how many applications do we have in the company? Okay, first question, what do you mean by application? Right? What is it? Is it uh, something that, is it a piece of code that gets promoted? Is it a piece of code with the database behind it? Well, not in their definition. So how do you define applications? Right? Then the second question is, okay, once you've defined it, then you can have a prayer of figuring out actually where you get this information from. So to me, it's kind of a couple of, like, first, do you understand what data you're asking for? Do other people you're asking questions understand what it is that you're asking for? And then if you find it, how do you know that's the correct place? Were, so, were people receptive to your suggestion to do that, to come up with standard definitions? Like, oh, yeah, yes. Well, well yeah. they're not always they're not always receptive and they're not always patient. And Peter, I bet you you see this frequently in that um, an application needs data. They don't know exactly where it is to trust it. So they build their own, and yet we got another repository that springs up mm -hmm. in some organizational silo. Is that, you know? True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. Um, well, traditionally, data management, um, I always call it a bit the, the, the dusty old enterprise data management world when we, when we came at Colibra out of school. Uh, into the microphone, people can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, traditionally, there is the reporting infrastructure, right? There is a central authority, usually called the Business Intelligence Center, and they decide who gets to get to see what data, and usually only a certain elite of people can request uh, data of information products. Traditional information products are baseline components, like master data vectors, master data records, who can then be transformed into more applicable data warehouses or data marts, right? So that's the, that's the old way. So there's a reporting infrastructure from the top down, and information is only accessible to the happy few decision makers. Now there are two new evolutions, right? Um, first of all, there is the, since Windows 95 and Windows NT, we see a tremendous consumerization of software and technology, right? We saw Tableau bringing the, the visualization dashboard to the boardroom. We see democratization of BI. We see that many more people in the organization have access to data, right? And they want to do something with it. Uh, so it's not just central anymore. Data is now everywhere, and if you don't take control or appreciate the fact that people on the, on the, the work floor, the factory floor, are also using data, then you're taking a very high risk. 
And then the second thing is, of course, what do you do with these information products? So there is also a complete change in marketing approach, right? So why do we need data? To get more customers, to get them to buy more. Mm -hmm. But before, we just looked at transactional data, and we tried to predict, okay, what are we going to buy next, right? But now we are more focused towards customer retention, so we are more interested in analyzing the behavior of the clients and actually get almost a digital image of the client in order you can predict whether they will stay with your company. So the purpose of the data, the marketing approach is changed and of course also completely changed the way we have to deal with, with data, I think. All right, so, so we got a problem with finding it. I think we have a bigger problem that we're alluding to with trusting it. Mm -hmm. And let's talk a little bit about uh, meaning and, and, and uh, fit for purpose and um, uh, trust in data. And, and Jody, let me start with you because you're manufacturing complex outputs, right? mm -hmm. securitization processes. Right. And the inputs have to be understood and trusted. What's the challenge that you see in Freddie, maybe in all the GSEs, in data trust and confidence? I think the problem is, is again, knowing what your source of truth is. So yeah, I was doing the math in my head. Freddie Mac's over 45 years old. And we've had multiple development methodologies. We've had multiple ways we think about building our applications. And we've historically built them in silos. And depending how old the application is, there may or may not be any documentation about it. Um, and so, you know, um, Julia, you said something. I don't think it's that the data is wrong. It was right, and the data is right. You just don't understand what the data means. Um, so what we see is I say, you know, one of the key um, data elements we use a lot at Freddie Mac is loan to value. Well, there's not just one. There's like 20 different calculations for it, but they're all called loan to value. So it gets back to what's the meaning of the data. They're all right and they're all valid, but they all mean something slightly different for different people and different consumers. So one of the things we're trying to do is understand where they all are, how do you uniquely name them, how do you uniquely define them so you know which one when I'm going to create a report that's going to the board or, our S or the SEC or whoever that you're getting the right one. And so one of our biggest challenges is just that, I call it transparency. When I took this job on and I left um, finance and accounting, people said, you're going to fix our data quality problem at Freddie Mac. I said, we don't have a data quality problem. If we had a data quality problem as the CFO of the business, I could have never signed off on the financial statements. What we have is an inefficiency. It's extremely inefficient how we get to quality and a lack of transparency to what the data means. So how are we going to get our arms around that? So you know when you're going to find original LTV or current LTV or whatever variation you're looking for, you know you're getting the right one, and you don't have to dig through the code to figure out the right one because we're going to serve it up to you, and you're going to know which one you're going okay, to Okay, so find. let's take a closer look at that because it's really important for us to understand the dimensions of quality. Mm -hmm. Large term means lots of things. We have... Is it available? Is it consistent? Is it accurate? Does it conform to standards? Is it timely? There are six or seven core dimensions, and I think you're pointing out that the data accuracy is not really our problem. No. For the most part, across organizations, the data itself is accurate. It just might reflect something that was we didn't know, you know yeah. early uh, <laughs> a timing problem or a consistency yeah. problem. So, Mark, I know you and I have had this argument of whether you think the data is accurate or not. I maintain that accuracy is the least of our problems. What's your opinion? <laughs> I have lots of opinions. Um, uh, uh, first of all, um, one point about finding the data. Uh, so so um, I'm, I'm a little bit the odd man out here uh, um, because uh, uh, I don't work for a single organization in a sense. Uh, um, we have... 
uh, we're a regulator and, and, and the entire financial system reports to us. We have a lot of organizations uh, 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 in, in scope. And uh, um, so, so I think what Julie said is right. The data is always there somewhere. If you have a, um, uh, an organization, or, you know. Uh, Inventory. Uh, for, firms define a, 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 a scope of, of management control, and, and everything within that scope is, uh, um, is there somewhere. The, the problems we face, um, we, we frequently um, deal with the blind spot problem. So uh, uh, 20 years ago, it was uh, the securitization world. Uh, um, uh, the regulators did not have a good view into the risks accumulating in, in the securitization industry. These days, I think it's, uh, um, you know, we, we've got the fintech cryptocurrency blockchain world that is spinning up rapidly. Um, we don't have a good view into that. Uh, um, we're, we're, we're working on it, but uh, um, we worry a lot about uh, what we should be knowing and don't there. Um, uh, uh, so so that, that's mm -hmm. one point. Uh, um, in terms of data quality, uh, 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 this gets back to fit for purpose. So uh, if uh, um, in, in risk systems, um, if you work at a trading desk, uh, the level of precision that's required for your, uh, your, your prices um, uh, is very fine-grained. You, you have to be very precise or you're going to get arbitraged uh, um, in, in, uh, in traded markets. Uh, if you're on the risk side, uh, um, your level of precision required drops by an order of magnitude. Uh, you need to know what are the broad patterns, where are uh, exposures accumulating for, for the firm or, or uh, for the industry, but you don't need to, to, to get things down to the penny. Um, and uh, at my level, the systemic risk level, the level of required precision drops again by an order of magnitude. So it, it's a, a, one of our few luxuries is uh, um, we, we don't have to be super precise uh, to get our job done. The problem is, when the data is not fit for purpose, we're stuck in reconciliation. And the, um, the magnitude of the nightmare of reconciliation mm -hmm. is substantial. Christine, I bet you see that in a large organization, that people have to massage and manage the data to get it to be fit for purpose for their application. Right. So, you know, with a, a bank as, uh, as big uh, as Morgan Stanley, you know, we have uh, back when... Um, uh, you know, we have different trading platforms, and uh, and they were designed to to do a certain thing. And so, you know, as the the business changes and there are new products that are being traded, um, the platforms just you know can't handle you know these new these new products. And so, um, so you know the so data is not accurate actually when it goes in, right? And so downstream, you have risk making adjustments. You have finance, you know, um, not seeing those, not getting those same adjustments, making their own adjustments. Sometimes the adjustments are different. Sometimes they're the same, you know, and. Um, and this is this is what we battle. So let's, um, uh, Steve. Let me pick on you a little bit on on complexity, hmm. because um, um, in uh, complex organizations we have outputs, you know, uh, uh, loan to value, you said, or risk weighted hmm. average, or you know, um, uh, portfolio composition. We people think in outputs. We have a manufacturing process where things are calculated and derived. And we have uh, technical processes where things are stored and located and assembled. How does one get their arms around the complexity of those three core concepts? So I think the first part in anything is understanding the problem. And I know from a data modeling perspective, when I go into an organization and I find some of the types of issues that are being discussed here, with differences in meanings or data, 
I break it down into four different pieces. So the first piece has to do with scope, which Mark was talking about when you were talking about the different risk calculations in different areas. So sometimes an organization is very comfortable with their data because they have blinders on and they're working in a particular area. So probably in the data warehouse area and places like that, you see a lot of that where, well, when I worked at Mars Candy, um, even the definition of a product took on many meanings. So scope plays a very big role. The other role was time. Um, what I find, and this might tie to your comment about the applications coming in, is a lot of times when people um, get comfortable with their world, try to get control of their world, they're looking at it at a particular point in time. So we, not only am I a data modeler, but we publish books. And I could tell you that even defining the term book is a very complex thing for a publishing company to do. And if you search online, you'll find that, oh, a book is something where the pages are sewn together and glued. And, and that was the right definition back in 1985. So scope and time play an issue. It's not the right definition anymore. Another very important aspect I see on my assignments is actually, I don't know if you've experienced this too, but motive is actually a very good reason for keeping things complex. And uh, for example, at Mars Candy, take a measurement like gross sales value. So I don't know, how many of you have accounting backgrounds in the room? Me. Okay, <laughs> so you know what gross sales value is. But if we were to get an accountant and a salesperson from Mars in a room, they would not agree. I spent two days and I flew from New Jersey to LA to help resolve an issue with gross sales amount because the accountants wanted that amount to be as low as possible for tax reporting, but the salespeople were based their commission based on that amount. So they wanted that they had a very different formula. If you ever go to a Walmart and you see those blue plastic M&Ms, well, they're given to Walmart for free because the salesperson's hoping to get more candy products sold, but the accountants deduct that off. So there's motive there. So you have scope, you have time, you have motive. You also have um, state, where sometimes people uh, view their world in terms of a life cycle. So I did a consulting assignment for a university in California, a very well-known university there, and they um, had a very big issue. They couldn't define the word student. I don't know if Columbia has the same problem, but I sat in a room and my mouth dropped open. I'm like, how do you, how do you not know what a student is? Well, the admissions person said, you know, if you are a high school senior or you're applying for another university, that's a student. And there was somebody from the graduate office in the room who insisted you must have an undergraduate degree from this university to be a student. So that's an example of life cycle. So I break down problems in my consulting into these four, I call them facets. You have the state, you have the time, you have motive, and you have, and you have um, a scope or context. Those four play a very big role in how I break up problems. Mark. So uh, um, you asked about complexity, and as it happens, one of the things I've been working on uh, a lot recently is uh, uh, complexity in financial systems. Um, and uh, uh, I've come to conclude that the word complexity um, is a great uh, icebreaker, uh, but it's, it's ultimately a weasel word um, because Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to, um, to be useful with it. You need to be much more precise about what you mean by complexity. So... Um, uh, usually what people mean when they say complexity is, here's something I don't understand. Uh, so um, uh, Chinese is complex to me. Um, I, I really do not understand Chinese. But I guarantee you there are tens of millions of three-year-olds uh, who understand Chinese very well. Thank you very much. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, 
One of the things uh, um, I, I did was a, uh, sort of a wit review on, on complexity. turns out there are scores of uh, very formal, uh, precise definitions of complexity from different domains, things that have uh, um, algebraic formulas attached. You know, people have thought through the details. They don't agree with each other at all. Um, and uh, um, uh, when we uh, um, started looking at complexity in the financial system, uh, um, it, uh, um, for us it boiled down to uh, coordination problems among uh, organizations uh, um, in the financial system, and uh, um, uh, we started looking for ways using graph theory to, to measure coordination problems. Uh, but that was only um, after about a year of spinning our wheels uh, trying to, to get our minds around the problem. Uh, I think there's an overlap between complex and complicated. Well, complex is, an, is a behavior. Into the microphone, please. Complex is a behavior that emerges from simple rules, like like a flock of birds. That's like complex behavior. Well, complicated usually is created by humans. It's a situation created by humans. Well, I was, I was alluding to the problem we have with the data manufacturing process that we're all involved in. Things come in as factors of input. Yeah. We do processes around it. Sometimes those processes can be complex or insightful or... or um, uh, multifaceted, and we produce outcomes, right? And the, 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 the management of that process, that manufacturing process, is one of the big challenges mm -hmm. that we all have to deal with. And we have to understand that manufacturing process and reduce it to business objectives, data concepts, and calculation processes. And I'm sure we all kind of think about the challenges of dealing in a data manufacturing world. Most one of the major challenges and that Into data is, yeah, that data has been produced for one purpose. So, for example, if you have a trading system, the trader or trader assistant enters data into a trading system to do a trade for the customer, so satisfy the order produced. But it's then being used by a multitude of other things between finance, risk, analytics, customer retention, what have you. So for people who enter the data and the process that the data goes through in this whole, it's built for the specific, for the trading. It's not built to satisfy finance. It's not built to satisfy enterprise risk or analytics. So that's where complexity comes in, because you get this data, and then somebody's like, oh, okay, this is really useful. We need to have our trading records to do financial reporting or to understand the risk. And then we're trying to use it um, in a way that's not intended and in a way that people who are entering it are not even thinking about. It's a scope issue. Too. It's, it's, a sco scope. it's a scope issue. So that's the challenge of data management, because you have to get people... And I don't know how many of you have uh, spent a lot of time with the traders, uh, but you generally don't get a lot of their times. And explaining to them that there are things that they're doing that need to be done differently because some people they've never met can't really do their jobs, it's somewhat challenging. Mm -hmm. And so that's mostly a challenge of data management and data governance organization because you get to have you have to get people on the front lines to care about the stuff that don't really care to do their jobs and to make their money. All right, so let's, let's pick on uh, that caring part mm -hmm. because um, I'll describe this as the relationship between data producers mm -hmm. and the relationship between they have with their consumers. So, Jody, I know that one of these producer-consumer relationships is something that you've had to think about a lot. Mm -hmm. How do you facilitate? What are, what are those two roles first? 
And how do we facilitate that relationship? So the data producer, and the way we've defined it at Freddie Mac, it's the person that actually either brings the data through the front door of the company or calculates the data like in a transactional processing system, for example. So the business owner of um, what we call our loan selling um, system, which is how loans come into Freddie Mac, that person is responsible for that data. They're responsible for its quality, for its definition, and they're also responsible for understanding who uses it and how they're using it. Um, so that's sort of the front end. Think of that's the front door of Freddie Mac. And then you have all these people like finance and risk and modelers and compliance that then use that data. So they're the data consumers. Are those business people or the, IT These people? are all business people. Um, so just I do sit in the business. IT facilitates it through infrastructure, but this is all business people that have these responsibilities the way we've defined it at Freddie Mac. And then so then the consumers, again, are all the people's risk, finance, compliance, um, other areas of the business that are using the data. And so they have a responsibility to understand what data do I need, where do I go to get that data, and that's part of what my team does is we identify those, those systems of record, those sources of truth. So if they don't know where to go, they're supposed to call 1-800-JODY-STATA-TEAM, and we will help them determine that. Um, but they also, the consumers, also have a responsibility to set their quality thresholds. So going back to what you were talking about earlier is how good does the data have to be for what I'm using it for? So in finance, for certain data elements, we have a very low tolerance for error because it can create big problems in our financial statements. But for the modelers that are developing the next greatest model we're going to use um, in our business somewhere, when they're doing that model development, they can actually have a greater tolerance of error in the data. But it's their responsibilities as data consumers to have that conversation with the data owner or the data producer to say, one, I'm using your data, and two, this is how good I need it to be. And then the data producer says, well, gosh, am I producing data that meets that quality threshold? And that's and so, good. That's good and we call a, it the handshake between producer and consumer. It's good in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, Jody, yeah. but um, we also have um, shared data. And one and data, the, the kind of core data, mm -hmm. can be used by many people with many criteria for quality yep. and many different that's outputs. That's the third role. Sorry, I was anticipating your... <laughs> the third role, as we call it at Freddie Mac, the data steward, and that's what my team does. So we're the one that sits in the middle of the producers and the consumers. So producers and consumers don't usually directly hand data off between each other. They hand it off through the corporate data warehouse, through our analytics platform, through our reporting data marts, and my team owns all of those and manages those as the stewards of that data. So the owner or producer is still responsible for quality, so they're still responsible for saying that house has blue shutters and that's the right attributes to send through. My team's job as the steward is then to say, I've picked that up and moved it completely and accurately through all of that shared infrastructure, the data marts and the warehouse, et cetera. And then the consumer's job is to say, yeah, I really do want to know whether or not that house has blue shutters. And so there's this three-way relationship, and my team's kind of like we're the ones in the middle between producers, stewards, and consumers. And we've defined and articulated what we're all responsible for and how those handshakes work between us. And that was one of the first things we did when we stood up data governance in the business was to, find, to define those relationships. So I could turn that as managing the data ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is manage a complex ecosystem yes. of producers and consumers and stewards, technology and data and business so anybody can comment on this. So we, we, we are conducting a rather difficult dance of coordination between data quality, data usage, and data manufacturing. So, so what, what do we see as the 
primary challenge in that ecosystem. Mark? So uh, one challenge I haven't heard uh, mentioned yet is the public goods problem. Uh, um, and maybe that's, again, uh, because uh, um, I work for a regulator and not for an individual firm, uh, but uh, you know the, the producers and consumers of data um, in, in Jody's world, there's a, um, an avenue for escalation. If the consumers aren't getting what they need, uh, they can ask for it. Um, uh, I think the the key question that it boils down to frequently is when and how do you instrument the system? Uh, um, because instrumentation, in other words. Uh, um, uh, collecting new data, um, uh, uh, things that, that you weren't collecting before, uh, um, is a significant commitment, both in terms of time and resources, and uh, in our case, uh, intrusion into the, the, uh, the businesses on the street. Uh, um, when do you uh, um, make do with the information you've got, um, uh, and when do you uh, force new instrumentation? Um, it's a hard question, um, and it's it's very uh, question uh, problem dependent. Um, Anakin, yeah, I have a quick thought on that. So, one of the reasons that uh, the data team uh, is in the business function, uh, as opposed to the technology function, is because we we want the business wanted us to think about how how does our business make money. You know, we have an e-commerce store and a and retail store, and from there, think about how we can make sure that everything that is related to a revenue-generating process is generating data, because otherwise no one was thinking about that. A concrete example of this is uh, in our retail stores, we have cameras that can measure, like, foot traffic and, and give us data points on how many people are coming in and out of the stores. This is an initiative that it directly ties to different things that marketing and uh, our retail operations teams care about, but no other team was owning the generation and presentation of that data to the organization. So the issue of proactively creating the data marts that help, uh, aside from the transactional data that already is generated by users in the organization, uh, is something that we've had to think about and solve for with our own team. So, Julia, uh, it's not just management of relationships between consumers and producers. We've also got a complexity of IT operations, business, and data. So the organizational dance that we have to coordinate becomes even a bigger challenge for us all. Yeah. So that's overall data governance and data management challenge. So the companies, for example, I'm listening to Judy the way Freddie Mac had set up governance, and I'm kind of yeah, that's the, uh, that's a good way of doing it. So <laughs> it's uh, a data governance and accountability for data. It's all it's a bus- data management is a business problem. So very often, especially when organizations start on the data management journey, it's become it starts in technology so we're gonna go build a reference data store we're gonna go build a data warehouse we're gonna do some technology definitions of important data elements that we in technology think are important and that usually doesn't get very far because again it's not tied to the business and how business is going to be using the data uh, so the data governance, it's all needs to come from the business, but technology a big part of it because that com- that dance that we're talking about, that producers uh, are saying what data they produce, what are their definitions, and what do they produce, and consumers saying here is what we are consuming, and here is the data quality rules that we need. You really need to have a platform in between. That's actually why Calibra, I'm going to give a shout for Calibra here, because that Calibra is one of the platforms that actually does that, combines the definitions and the rules, and brings it together and enables you to see 
uh, where you have the breaks and how you can manage that. The other com complexity that we have, or dimensional complexity, I'm now afraid to use the word complexity, mm -hmm. uh, unless I will have to define it in some other way, um, is that we usually have tough dead deadlines in technology. So you want to get something to your consumer fairly quickly. And obeying all of the data management rules and all the definitions and going looking for it in the right place and getting it through the right channels, at least there is a perception that it takes more time. So you have to put right incentives in place, and it has to go from the top of the house uh, through the middle management for people to not behave that way. Mm -hmm. There is much more cost otherwise. It's uh, a fallacy to think that if you get your data someplace quickly, uh, it will be cheaper. It won't be because you will have to pay for it with adjustments, uh, with incorrect meaning, and all of that stuff at the end. So, But to understand that fallacy, you have that uh, commitment and buy-in from all levels of the management, and that's a culture change that a lot of data governance and data management organizations are leading. And that takes a long time. So I've been in cities, as I said, for five and a half years, and then Deutsche Bank is also a very complex organization, and it just takes time for that culture change, and that's why at least we all have jobs. <laughs> okay. you know, I, see that, I see that in a lot of the companies that I work with, too, and I think an advantage of working for a government agency is that um, you have a longer timeline in a lot of cases, and I think you have the luxury of, um, I don't know if luxury is the right word, but you can get the big picture. You can focus on program instead of project. And when I worked on Wall Street and a lot of organizations that have a similar kind of, like you mentioned, culture and mindset, I think that they take much more of a project perspective. I don't know how many people in the room studied Agile. Any Agile? Show of hands. Agile. Do we count? Yes, exactly. So we would count too. But, but, but a lot of times Agile um, makes us handle these projects with, um, as projects with blinders on, and we lose sight of the big picture. We wind up building small applications that don't fit well together. Um, most of the challenge is one of communication and coordination and understanding. I'll, I'll um, be silly a little bit and say it's a marriage counseling problem in organizations <laughs> because people focus on their own orientation. And this mm -hmm. is my view of the world, and I don't really care about your view of the world. I care about mine. And our languages aren't the same. Mm -hmm. Our processes aren't the same. The... Um, how to get everybody to understand a common objective has got to be one of the fundamental functions that we all go through. At Freddie Mac, we call it data therapy. Um, and so we, and this is one of the biggest challenges. So the technology, yeah, it's hard. There's stuff we have to do. Getting the meaning of data is hard. There's stuff we have to do. But it's actually breaking down the silos and having people think about data Vertically versus horizontally. I almost said my words backwards. Um, because, and this goes back to when you talked about, oh, I forget the word you used a little bit ago, but um, I have spent my career being an expert in this one thing, and I know how to do it. I know what the data means. And don't come here and tell me that you want to take that away from me and make me no longer relevant. So one of the biggest problems we have is, is that people want to keep it to themselves, um, and they don't want to, you know, basically give up the data for the greater good of the organization. So everybody believes in our data strategy. They think it's the right thing to do until I come and ask them, 
to do something different for the greater good of the strategy and for the greater good of the outcome for the, for the business overall. And so sometimes I actually do have to call my boss and say, oh, by the way, I just made a whole room of people uncomfortable because they can see that either their job is going to significantly change as we get through this, you know, this more automated and transparent world of data quality and data management and data governance, or they're, they're freaking out because they don't see themselves in that world because they can't make the change with it. So a huge part of my job, yeah, we make decisions about technology choices and we have data governance um, forums and things like that, but it's really about communication, change management, and driving cultural change about the way we think about data. We think about data as an enterprise asset, not as Jody's data set, that my career has been built on managing in my little box, and don't ask me for my data, and don't ask me for my data because I'm not going to give it to you. And so that's what I actually spend a lot so of really my parenting. time on. So really, we don't share, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> actually, being a mother of three children has prepared me well for this job. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about governance. We, we've been we've been dancing all around it. Um, the first challenge we have in governance is positioning, getting people to understand that you don't just flip the data switch and data comes out that there is a management of quality and meaning. So positioning the data objective in the minds of the stakeholders, is this a challenge for anybody? Well, you know, I find regulators been very helpful <laughs> for the past uh, 10 years or so, that the challenge of data management, explanation of the challenge is a lot easier when you have, uh, let's say, FED or mm. OFR or uh, OCCs come to you and give you MRA, meta requiring attention, which are those are bad things to have for the company, uh, that says your data is bad and you've got to fix it. That, that kind of uh, concentrates the mind of top management when they have something like that with the data attached to it. And they know that you know, bad things will happen from fees to potential this, you know, bank will lose some business. So that helps a great deal. You immediately stop uh, explaining that this is really important to the business because they get it's really important to the business. But it's kind of like, do it because I said so. Yeah. Which well, is, you know, going back to, sorry to steal your yeah, parenting analogy, yeah, yeah. The, the idea is not only do it because you have no choice. The goal is understand, kids, why you're supposed to be doing it and change your behavior and act in a different way. That's the challenge that we've got to deal with. Well, so, yes, I agree. Overcoming inertia, regulators were helpful. Yes. But that's not what we want data management to be, in my opinion. Well, then you get into education and culture change. But that gets you kind of... Uh, right, so, so it's door. not an insignificant point. Yeah. Because people think now data management was get me out of the fire of mm -hmm. regulatory oversight so that my boss doesn't go to jail. Mm -hmm. Perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. But that's really um, hard to overcome when you're trying to get people to understand data, factor of input, trust, and confidence. Christina, I know that big banks were facing that challenge, and regulation was a big driver. How do you make the shift? Yeah. Uh, well, it's um, this is a funny space where uh, governance is, um, I think there are two camps within governance. You have the, the camp that really get it, um, and, you know, it's, and there's, there's a... Um, it's it's best when you get it and you're actually in senior leadership, right? That's that's like the best combination. Um, but you, you, we have it, right? As as big a bank, um, you're going to have senior leadership that that don't get it, right? And and um, and really just want to do enough just to get you out of their hair, right? Yep. And uh, and I think that um, you know that camp really uh, you know infuses um, you know kind of like you know the. Um, 
um, the, the less talented, you know, uh, of the organization to actually. So you have this this um, this uh, uh, group of, of very very bright, very uh, and then you know n- you know not as strong um, you know talent in the organization trying to put forth you know governance. Uh, so it's it's actually you know quite a um, organizationally it's actually mm-hmm. you know quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what um, what I think we've um, We've struggled with is um, is getting uh, that that um, that leadership to actually um, you know s- sing from the same hymn sheet, right? And I think that um, there are some like you know. So if you think about the producers of the data, right? You know, getting in from the front office, um, like when they get it, then it's really great, right? Uh, so when they get it, they realize that you know if they don't get the data right from the start, it's actually their headache anyway. They're paying for everything behind you. Right? They're, they're the revenue generators. It's going to come back to them in an allocation from finance. It's going to come in from an allocation from risk, right? And so, when they get it, it's it's really great, right? So, yeah. So, so, so just riffing on that, I, I think um, a motto to to keep in mind is think of your future self. Uh, <laughs> um, that if you if you don't do it right, um, you're going to be seeing this problem again right. uh, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now. Um, and you're really going to regret that you didn't get it right up front. Um, part of that is simple documentation uh, um, issues, you know, the, uh, um, uh, provenance and, and definition. What, what did I actually record in this database? Um, uh, I think a, uh, uh, a bigger part of it is um, uh, trying to model the data that don't exist, um, which is uh, sort of a funny way to put it. But um, uh, it, it's something that uh, um, I, I've seen frequently is uh, – you know, as soon as you announce here is schema version 1.0 uh, to the organization, uh, the rest of the organization is going to start pouring concrete around that schema, right? You're going to be uh, stuck with that thing bolted down. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you didn't build in the flexibility where you needed it, uh, um, what you're going to discover is one year later, uh, you've got a silo, and the, uh, the end users are frustrated, and they're starting to uh, build runarounds and spreadsheets. Um, and two years after that, uh, they're going to announce the uh, the stewardship team, whose job it is to reconcile the end user computing with uh, um, <laughs> the the database schema, um, and, uh, um, and 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 much joy ensues from that. Uh, so so if you can uh, uh, somehow achieve the big picture where you've got the subject matter experts involved in the data modeling process and they can they could tell you as you're building this it's not just the data you have in front of you that you need to build into this model uh, it's the innovations that could occur uh, that we've got to make room for um, uh, you'll have a big you're trying up. to balance a compelling vision of do it right versus do it quick mm-hmm. against business pressure and operational reality of next quarter's delivery and thinking through Jody's spreadsheet <laughs> and, and 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 we do have to manage mm-hmm. that that um, a relationship between control, as someone described it, I think it was Julia, you're describing control, and and governance, right? That that relationship is sometimes not easy to facilitate. So I just, I know, I know to we add, had that conversation, yeah. Christine. <laughs> I just want to add that um, the you, you say documentation, right? That's a big aspect of this. Um, you can go really, really crazy with documentation, right? It's just like you can take it to the nth degree, um, but at the end of the day, you're you're a, you're a business, right? And you, you need to make money. <laughs> uh, and so, how, when do you? Where do you draw the line? And I think that that's that's the that's the challenge that we struggle with is like you know mm-hmm. how much do you do to get the controls in place, 
uh, to just be enough, right? Yeah, I think uh, that's why I used the word purpose. light earlier yeah. too. So that's mm -hmm. also part of the culture, right? right? They're gonna keep using agile, keep mm -hmm. rolling out applications, but how do you put enough in so that you get the big picture without handcuffing anybody? Right, right. So well, one of the things that I'm trying, especially in the new job, and the old job I was thinking about that, is how do you create more of a self-describing data so how do you use metadata and the tools that we have now that it's less of a, of a documentation challenge because one of the problems of documentation that's on paper or in the document somewhere is that it becomes stale really quickly. Mm -hmm. And keeping it up to date, if it's a manual effort somebody has to do outside right. of their normal job, that's just, it's, it's going to be stale. Mm -hmm. it just let's mm -hmm. be real. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I'm trying, especially as I come into my new job, uh, how do you create systems, data management, metadata management systems that make it much easier to self-describe the data and to produce that metadata, to produce the meaning. So I don't have a solution to it yet. I'm just started to that, but it's not easy, but I think there's some things that can be made in the way you've designed your system from technology perspective that makes it much more self-service and much more part of your normal change management process where you get that keeping it up to date and understanding mm -hmm. the changes in minion format, what have you, of the data and usage of the data as well. We're making this transition from an existing infrastructure, relational databases that are location-based mm -hmm. to new processing systems that are meaning-based where the data does have that self-describing nature. And Steve, mm -hmm. I know that you've been thinking from a modeling perspective that's on all the, I do. Yeah. The, the, the new technology, well, you know, it's only 20 years old, so it's relatively new technology, <laughs> of, of allowing us to embed meaning in the data, not just worry about its location in a database. Yeah. yeah, it actually makes the problem a lot more complex because anybody in the room work with any of the NoSQL technologies like Hadoop or Neo4j or MongoDB? So a few hands in the room. So. <laughs> So actually, um, what makes it complex is not necessarily the modeling perspective. It actually is more about the, how the organization is set up, where a lot of these technologies are being driven by developers. So the developers are able to build applications. And what they're doing is, because they don't have the knowledge of good, um, what was the phrase you used, Mike, in the beginning, kind of like understanding what the data, what data management means, um, it makes the problem a lot worse. So it's, it's not, no longer a modeling issue. It's really about an architecture issue. Um, maybe it's a governance issue as well. Um, I know from a modeling perspective, when me and my data modeling buddies get a little wild and we start thinking about you know, is it, what's going on with all these new systems, our feeling is if they don't need us now, they'll need us when they want to fix the problem. Because a lot of these, even though they're self-describing, most of the systems that I have seen, they don't know how to build properly. And so the technology may support self-describing, but they're not educated in how to do it. It's also that we've done it one way in the past, mm -hmm. and we know what we know, and we don't know how to do mm -hmm. something new, and we're afraid to try something new. And we just keep doing what we've done in the past over and over again. So, so that's actually the other side of the, of the puzzle, is that a lot of people who have been doing data modeling and data governance, they're very comfortable in what they're doing, and they kind of look the other way with these new technologies. Then you have developers that are kind of building the systems without knowing sound data practices. So that your point is, is well taken. It actually makes it more of a problem. Um, so the, the, the challenge of managing meaning versus managing words is kind of the illustration of that. You know, so if the words are the structure of the data 
And you have to unravel the word and agree on the word in order to get the activity implemented, you're going to get a lot of pushback because mm -hmm. that's expensive. However, you can use, I think, uh, Julia, you were talking metadata or align it to meaning or focusing on what the data actually represents and do it via cross-referencing rather than changing all your systems. How is that um, taken hold in the, in the way that you're, you're seeing uh, um, data management unfold? Uh, to me. Anybody. anybody. Oh, so, um, so, so a big part of it goes back to scope. And maybe it's a question for, for someone else other than me, but I, um, keeping track of lineage, um, what you're describing, is something which is a gap in a lot of organizations. Um, uh, you touched on that from a tools perspective a few minutes ago. I don't know whether your organizations have someone responsible for, it goes back to control, someone responsible for identifying where all the data comes from. Like you mentioned the applications in the beginning. I mean, is there somebody who does that in your organizations? Because a lot of companies don't have that person in place. Well, first, let's define lineage, right? Because so, lineage is one of those four-letter words that means lots of things mm -hmm. to lots of people in different ways. So yes, down the table, how do you define lineage? Well, that Julia. Was my, yeah. <laughs> that was my job at Deutsche Bank. So I, I had the definition of lineage uh, in there. So lineage is collection of metadata that defines the journey of the data attribute from source to the consumer. So how it moves through systems. How it sure. moves through systems, yes. So, so just so notice Steve, something about that. Steve, your definition of lineage. Yes, yeah, so there's nothing in that, and that's, that's important, there's nothing in that definition that defines organizational scope boundaries. So if data is coming in from other sources outside the organization, that's still part of it. So I, I see it as what you're saying, right, because mm -hmm. it could come from other systems outside the organization as it, well. Yeah. Okay, so, let's keep going. Uh, Anna Kay. I'm going to copy-paste the answer given by Julia. <laughs> uh, uh, systems transformation. Um, Peter. Uh, well, I partly agree. I, I would. Uh, Into the microphone, please. I would uh, expand the taxonomy. Um, so, what you say as it moves from system to system, yeah, from the source to the, the the purpose to the consumer. So uh, I think there are two types of lineage. I think there is business data lineage, which explains the why. Why does it move and how much does it cost to move it? Because I need my reports because it's going to cost it a million dollars or 10K, I don't know. And secondly, the how, right, which is more the technical transformations you find deeper into the, the lineage, like how do fields transform in combinations of other fields, right? So it's technical lineage versus business lineage. For me, business lineage was how is it manufactured? What is this calculation process? How do I assemble the output? You were talking about business lineage as in value of doing it. What does it cost me to get it? So Dubai. I think I now hear at least three. Um, Christine, any uh, any alternative, any new no, definition? Yeah, I mean, Anybody want to add anything that, new? That pretty much captures it. I, I didn't actually think about the uh, the business, the why. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. Jody or Mark? The one thing I'd add is our we include in our lineage definition and what we actually capture the controls. So as it traipses its way through, we want to know how it's being controlled each of the times. So you've got a process lineage as well? Yes, yes, yep. yep. So business, value, technical. And, and, and uh, again, odd man out. Uh, so so uh, um, uh, I wouldn't change the definition of uh, um, lineage uh, uh, per se uh, relative to what we've heard, but um, one thing that regulators have to do, um, we probably wouldn't do it otherwise uh, except we regulate ourselves, um, under the Administrative Procedures Act, there is an elaborate uh, um, notice and comment uh, uh, process 
that forces us to document uh, whatever information we collect. So, so we've got uh, um, actually excellent documentation of the front-end uh, um, data capture. And uh, one of the, the, the most successful uh, um, documentation systems I've seen uh, is something that the FDIC put together for their derived data. So, so they collect a bunch of d uh, data from the banks, um, and then they, they generate a bunch of derived fields from that, um, you know, probably uh, order magnitude as many derived as collected. Um, and they've got a system uh, for the Research Information Systems database uh, that actually, uh, um, uh, it's extremely efficient. It just captures the SAS source code that is used to transform the raw data, um, uh, and they built it into the data dictionary. So if you want to know uh, how is the derived field calculated, um, you have the exact precise SAS code that is used uh, um, to calculate it. Um, it's, it's a sort of a self-documenting, uh, self uh, very parsimonious uh, uh, framework for... Uh, for keeping track. Let's just go back to our original point, which is let's make sure that these terms are understood. There are different things. They mean different um, objectives. We use the same words to describe them. Lineage covers all of that. Mm -hmm. We have to deal with all of that from technical flow to business process to governance management, et cetera. Let me shift conversations slightly. Um, I'm going to uh, ask our uh, Office of Data Management folks, Describe the people who work in data management. What do they do? Who are they? And what do they do? People that are on your team, let's not make it one litany. All of you can just keep adding. Who are some of these people? What, what kind of roles and functions exist in this process? Anyway. So, so my direct reports, I've got six of them. I have two that come out of finance and accounting with me that have strong risk and controls backgrounds. That's actually my data governance director does that. I have one guy that spent 20-some-odd years as a modeler. I wanted to have the perspective of a major data user at my leadership table. And then my two other direct reports actually have IT backgrounds. So they've built everything from um, applications to data marts to, you know, Hadoop ecosystems. So I told you guys I'm a CPA. I wanted to surround myself by a broad variety of backgrounds and skills so I could understand, you know, we could think about data governance and management um, through the, all these different lenses. All right, so we got governance, we got business, we've got um, modeling. Christine, mm -hmm. what else is in there? We have um, policy and standard setting, right? So the um, uh, how you organize uh, a, and control and, and establish the right controls for a large organization. Um, you have to set establish standards. You know how, um, where do you keep all your authority information? Where do you, you know what? Um, how do you do issue management? Uh, and and so. Um, we have, a, we have a, um, a team that just does uh, remediation, so issue management um, uh, and uh, frameworks and standard setting. I'm going to put all that in the category of process, process for policy, <laughs> process for exception management. Julia, what else is in there? Anything else? Oh, yeah, business data architects. So architecture, that is mechanics of data architecture and semantics of data architecture. So usually people in chief data offices or is semantics of data architecture, so data definitions, metadata, all of the data lineage, all of that kind of is in there. Okay, and don't, don't, don't move on because you've made the word data architect, which is different from an information architect. Make the distinction, please. I mean, you know, IT data data. I see data architect that encompasses, you can have mechanics of data architect and semantics of data architect. So semantics of data architect, especially with the business, would be information architect. Yeah, so one's a data engineering. What does the data mean? 
Mm -hmm. The other one is uh, information architecture. How do we get it to the right process? They have to work together. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. What, what, what so, else? And uh, business analysis. So for data quality, data quality analysis, systems analysis, business analysis, that family around data. So being able to dig through the data, uh, understand where it's coming from, what are the issues with that, what are the quality consideration. I think I've heard somewhere that the best um, people for data quality jobs are librarians. Well, without question. <laughs> yes. um, okay, anybody, any, anything else into this, well, this um, mix, Peter? Uh, I'm not a member of the... the That's all right. You, the, data I'm extending. Of course, I agree with... Uh, all, into the microphone, please. All my clients and potential clients. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't start advertising. You, st you started. Yeah, I know, but so I have to liberal credit. No, but I do agree. It has to be a colorful, broad um, perspective on data. So, and if you want to build that platform and lead that platform between the consumers and the producers, or the prosumers, what they say, I'd, I would say uh, one provoking thing maybe. Uh, there would be one person missing in that team, and that is to whom you report. And I would say that's the CEO of the company. So executive and management uh, functions. All right, so, so yeah, leading so all, all this up to the skill sets that are required to effectively do this task and the skill sets that you see that are missing because that's where the gaps are we're all trying to fill. So let's talk a little bit first about what are the dynamics and dimensions of a successful data management professional and where are we, sh uh, where are we lacking? Anybody? Or I'll pick on you. Well, I'll go first. Please. So I think, again, so I stood up my team from scratch and had an opportunity to pick every single one of my direct reports. I was looking for people that were passionate about data and were self-starters. And that's, so again, I've got two of my direct reports come out of finance with me. They've done all kinds. Of, they did Starblades, Oxley compliance. They did regulatory reporting. They did basic controllership type functions. One of them is now my expert in master data management. She had never heard of the word of master data management when I asked her to go figure it out, but she rolled up her sleeve. She's a self-starter. She's intellectually curious, and she's figured it out. And now she speaks at industry conferences across the country on master data management. So we have taught ourselves. So I can take anybody that is motivated, interested, and you know, has intellectual capacity to learn something new, and I can train them and teach them because we're all making this up as we go along, because many of these roles didn't exist five years ago, right? Right, right, right. right. And so I wrote my own job description um, three and a half years ago, and I made it up. And it's still pretty good, um, but I'd make some tweaks to it. But, I mean, th there's no perfect, in my opinion, there is no perfect data governance or management person out there, but I can do a lot with somebody that is actually as excited about data as I am. Skill sets that you're looking for, Christine. <laughs> So in, uh, I've, I've written quite a few job descriptions, and, uh, and so what I look for is uh, someone passionate about process. Passionate about process, uh, you know, so if uh, order makes sense, you know, and, and is, is uh, interesting for you, uh, I, I, um, I, I like that. Um, Content-wise, I actually think that um, that's, that's a secondary. I absolutely, you know, look for that and, um, and, and, um, and, and value it, but, uh, but you can learn any content and actually it's less important for my organization because we're not the data owners. And so we actually, um, we liaise with the data owners, but it really is ultimately their responsibility and, and we hold them accountable. Um, and so we, you know, we want, we want our, our talent to be uh, comfortable enough to get technical, but they don't need to be technical. Anna what are you looking for? 
So our fundamental problem is that we are charged with making data useful to the organization without the foggiest idea of what actually constitutes as useful because what is useful to accounting is very different from what's useful to finance, which is very different from retail and all the other verticals within our company. So the ability to work with people and build uh, you know, empathy and, and shared meaning and then translate that into business requirements and considering resources, uh, uh, deploy that into something that is incrementally more beneficial to the organization is a highly valued skill set on our end. Mark, I know that we always go glass to you. I'm going to <laughs> jump the queue. What, what are you looking for? What, what, what's, what's missing out there from the objectives that you have in mind? So, so um, uh, I, I'm seldom in a hiring role, so, so uh, um, uh, I don't directly look for, uh, for things. But what I um, would add to what's already been mentioned um, is uh, um, a dose of humility, right? The, uh, um, what, uh, what I've experienced is working in cross-functional teams uh, where people are very expert, very smart, um, and uh, they're confronting domains where uh, the Dilbert principle applies, um, and you need to, to be able to uh, admit to yourself, okay, the person on the other side of the table is really smart too. Um, this is a, a domain where I'm an idiot. Um, I, I need to um, uh, engage in that conversation uh, to take seriously what they're, what they're trying to tell me, um, knowing that I'm not going to get it probably the first or second or third time. Uh, um, and... Uh, it, because what's ultimately needed is, uh, you know, the, the implementation skills, uh, technical skills, uh, um, uh, a lot of which come from the computer science side, and uh, the, uh, the semantic skills that are going to come from the business side. And uh, if you don't mix the two well, uh, it's not going to be a useful outcome. So, so where do you find these humble, diplomatic, <laughs> sociologists, psychologists, um, um, data modelers who are, are also um, keen on library, uh, library skills? So, um, Jody, you, create, you, you build them from within. Yes. So my leadership team are all people that had done other roles at Freddie Mac over the years. Um, but we're continuing to grow the team and hire more in. So, you know, right now we're hiring sort of at that mid-manager level. And it's very interesting, again, we're tending to hire folks that don't have the perfect set of technical skills but are interested, excited, motivated, self-starters they can learn. And there's actually this guy that um, came in last week that had the perfect, perfect technical resume, but I don't think he could actually talk to anybody. Um, so we passed on him. Mm-hmm. and went with somebody that actually had more of the people skills, the ability to be empathetic. We don't want to go in there and assume we understand all of your problems. We need to be able to have a conversation with you to understand what your challenges, issues, opportunities are regarding data, and then deliver the right solutions for you. So I need people that can listen and talk. Um, you know, Sometimes we talk a little bit IT, we talk a little bit business, but we got to be able to sort of flip back and forth. So, so, Julia, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. You've been in job for one week. you got to build a team. <laughs> What's I've the got- story? So another thing that we're looking for, and I think that's what Georgia just, it's, uh, I used to call my, uh, my team in city that we were translators between finance and risk, between uh, consumer bank and investment bank, between compliance. So that's the skill set. You need to be able to talk multiple languages and get it all into the same definition. And that's one. The second thing that I always look for is people who are really passionate about meaning of words. So that can spend some time discussing the taxonomy whether on any. So if somebody starts getting really literal about the meaning, 
in the interview, I really like that person. <laughs> uh, so where do you get that? You know, you don't get everything to one person. It's important to have a mix in the team. It's really important to have really diverse teams coming from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So you can have some very technical people who are not big talkers. It's, if you're building a metadata platform, it's a technology assignment. And so you need a really strong technical people, but you also need people with all the other skills to be able to listen and translate and bring business knowledge and kind of being able to bridge between the business and technology. Okay, so questions from the audience. I violated my own uh, uh, goal up front. If there's questions from the audience, by all means, please raise your hand. I think there's a microphone, and we'll, uh, we'll get We have to candy, you. Yeah, too. Right here. So. Uh, 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 right here. Oh. Yes. Uh, just shout it out. Here's the microphone. Um, the question is about humanizing the data. And I'm wondering if uh, you have any challenges um, visualizing and delivering this data in a visual way to clients both internally and externally. The fantastic question. Context. How do we get context understood? How, 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 do, we, how do we do that? That's a really big challenge. Data is the new life, which it is. How do you Yeah, so I, I guess uh, the um, the good news there, I, I think, is is that that is uh, a learnable skill. Um, you know, there are um, human computer interaction um, curricula, um, data visualization is a course. Uh, um, uh, but the bad news is that uh, um, uh, if you haven't acquired that skill, you probably think you have. Um, uh, so, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I can pick out a good suit off the rack. Um, you don't want me designing your clothes. Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we all uh, see good visualizations. We recognize them when we see them, um, but we don't all know how to create them. Uh, um, and I, I think uh, um, uh, spending time trying to accru- uh, accrue that skill is, is time well spent because um, it's an incredibly efficient way uh, to to uh, share information when it's done well. Yes, I'm sorry. Can can you speak up? Do you have challenges? Can I? So all of the t- time. So the overwhelming energy. amount of data. How do we pull it all together, connect it, and make it useful? To both clients internally and externally, because those are your markets. Um, so so yeah, one, one more. Oh, I, I actually know that from a modeling perspective because we. I know that from a modeling perspective because we face that quite a bit on our assignments, and it comes down to having um, some kind of visual. It may not be a pie chart, for example. It may look more like an architectural blueprint, but it's in the language of the business. And so, um, for example, I worked with an automotive company this summer, and we were very careful to make sure on each term we had on this model that the business was there with us. They agreed on the language. So I think a lot of it came down to um, coming up with a blueprint that was bought in by the business. And then once it was, we started working with more on the IT side. Mark Mark brought up the comment earlier about how do you get um, flexibility and robustness in the applications. The next level down, we started thinking more generically. So an invoice on a car becomes a document. You know, we started thinking more like that level. But we were very careful to have the business involved in that first level. That was really helpful. Yeah, Peter, yeah, and then we'll move on after this. Uh, it's a great uh, question. I think it's more than a visualization. It's just an, an, uh, an art form. Uh, but I think uh, uh, it's a problem of provisioning, right? Maybe 
you guys also recognize it's the whole thing about provisioning, right? If you if you have a model that you built or a report, you want to provision it, for example, on a Tableau server, which is then visualized in a nice pie chart. Or you want to also make data accessible. So the problem about getting the right data to the right people is broader than that. First of all, they have to find it, right? You need a cat it's a cataloging problem and a recommender problem. But now also increasingly we see, of course, with the old explosion of data that, and, and machine learning is the, is the black box problem. So algorithms, they have now actually discovered that. They, it's the information bottleneck problem. Is that actually uh, very highly advanced neural networks, they decide on themselves which data they filter out before they present the model to you. So figuring out how these neural networks actually do that is more or less a bit similar to how our brain works, right? So we have sensory inputs, we make decisions, but we don't know how we get from the input to the outputs. Otherwise, we could build a brain, right? It's better than a CPU. So the problem is going to be much bigger than nice dashboards in the boardroom. The problem is going to be AI uh, taking over certain decisions while we as humans cannot see through the model, right? obliqueness. We cannot contest the model. We cannot, we cannot act against it. And thirdly, it's the, the regulation around it, right? So it's unregulated. So there are three big problems around that. Sorry, next question over here. Yes, we'll go uh, back to videos. yes thank you. Uh, my name is Stuan Camargo, a Master of Science in Technology Management alum. This question is actually for Steve. Uh, I went through the list of uh, skills and types of people that data management and data governance requires nowadays, and I didn't see data modeler. Uh, so I know, hopefully that's that will so give frustrating. Me, huh? Yes, uh, so hopefully that will give me some brownie points. Uh, but in essence, uh, in today's... You do get some candies. Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I always throw the light so, candy, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks. Uh, so in today's modern world of unstructured data, what is the role of the data modeler? I have seen technologies that essentially uh, trading systems just starts dumping data. There's no model behind it. And the architect just says, we'll figure out later what it means. But we just want low latency. We don't care about the actual model itself right now. But what is the role then in, in that scenario? So um, it varies based on the organization. So I can talk about it from two perspectives. One is traditional, where you have a data modeler who works with the business and is responsible for capturing data requirements and builds different layers of modeling. First, the conceptual, like you would do with any system. So you'd wind up with a data model that captures business needs and definitions of key terms like customer and product. And that's used to scope the application. And then traditional logical, where you're focusing on detailed business requirements. And then the model is turned over to a DBA or a developer who specializes in one of these technologies. And then the black box is there, where something is happening in the data store level that's no longer a concern of the modeler. And that's a very big challenge. So it's a really... What the question you raised is one of the hottest questions now being discussed in the data modeling community. And so there's three ways of answering it, evolutionary, revolutionary, and ignore the problem. And the one I just described is ignoring the problem and hoping that NoSQL will go away. That's probably not going to work. And the other is evolutionary. So you have 
um, vendors uh, in the data modeling tool space that are expanding our palette of symbols to accommodate NoSQL. Things like things you can do with NoSQL that you can't do with relational databases like nested arrays. A lot of things are being added like that. And the third is revolutionary. There's some people in our community, our very small data modeling community, that are coming up with completely new symbols for NoSQL. I find it very frustrating. Um, uh, Mike mentioned like self-describing, and a lot of it is self-describing. How do you model a graph database? You can't. It's there, and it's you know so. And then how do you integrate it? So a lot of our topics around architecture and data governance. How do you integrate this new technology with what we have today? So what eBay does is they do all their work in their technology first, and then they throw it to the data modelers to document later. And you could probably imagine how that goes. And then what uh, some of the organizations do is they embrace it within their data management practice, and that seems like the right approach. A lot of the, one of the books I wrote is how to do data modeling with MongoDB, and I wrote it for developers so they realize how important it is to get the data right. So, excuse me. Okay, thanks. It's an interesting discussion. Uh, my name is Elena. I'm studying strategic communication here. So I'm this all soft skill person, and the closest I ever got to data management is Google Analytics. <laughs> uh, my question is a little off topic, if I may. Um, so GDPR is rolling out in Europe right now, and my question is, are your companies preparing for it? And uh, because it is maybe only a question of time when GDPR related thing is going to be rolled out in the U.S. because it's a huge income for governments. And if your companies are preparing for it, then what does this preparation entail? Thank you. No, GDPR? GDPR. Uh, you're happy to? But, but. I, I can. Uh, so, it, well, I used to be, like, till last week, well, two weeks ago in Deutsche Bank, which is a European bank, and GDPR is a big deal. So that's uh, something that it's it is a big deal, and a lot of it is around, again, data management and metadata and data lineage and being able to change the data and data privacy. There is so much into that one regulation. That's a huge data management challenge. And a lot of companies, it's one of the things that all the infrastructure and all the practices that's been built through different requirements, kind of, if you've done them right, they pay off here. Interesting enough that in VOIA, for example, this is a U.S. company, but they also have GPDR challenge because some of the customers are based in Europe, so they have that right to request the information being delivered. So you will have an impact on U.S. companies that don't really even do the business outside, but if they have customers that live in Europe, even though they may be U.S. citizens, what have you, they still need to accommodate it. And again, that's, again, data management challenge. It's a lot of it is data linear challenge, understanding metadata around the privacy, uh, PPI information, all of that. So I think you're right in the sense that uh, it will be something that U.S. companies will have to face as well. However, I mean, there is also obviously way outside of data management question, political question, whether that would be uh, something that U.S. will do as a regulation. I think we're moving to less regulation currently, as of right now, as opposed to more regulation. And that level of consumer protection, again, right now politically, this is what's happening. I think, but at least I, I'm not a political major or anything like that, but what I see is less consumer protection, not more consumer protection. So, Peter. Yeah, uh, yeah. indeed, GDPR is important, but I would like to make a correction. It's not only European companies that have to adhere to that. Into the microphone, please. Any global company 
who has European clients, citizens, need to comply with the regulation. And the ironical part of it is that as many European countries already have local national privacy rules in place, so they don't have to worry that much. I know it for myself, Belgium, Germany, privacy-wise, very conservative countries always have been. Here in the United States, um, for us, Colibra, this is now the major big use case, right? It's GDPR makes data governance transform in a more citizen-close global data protection uh, mechanism, right? Um, I'm talking about McDonald's. I'm talking about a lot of American companies who have to deal with it. Whether they will make it, that's another question, right? But it's very interesting to, to take a bit of a step back, right? So if we go back to the beginning where Mike said it's about the systemic risk, right? Everything... In, the systemic risk of the economy, right? How do you do that? By controlling the financial institutions, right? Or let's say the institutions that manage wealth and value. So you need regulations on how they control, share, exchange that value. Um, before that, it was money, right? Money, assets, property, uh, credit, whatever it is, financial assets. And therefore, we had regulatory compliance on financial assets. Today, what is the most valuable asset in the world? It's probably data. So the, the, the regulation shifts from Wall Street to Silicon Valley in a certain way, right? So, and GDPR is just one of the many to come regulations of the new world order in a certain sense, where data becomes the most valuable asset that is used to realize mergers and acquisitions, for example. Most companies take privacy and security seriously. The problem is tracking where it comes from, where it goes, how it gets transformed, where it's stored, how it's being used is something that's so far beyond the capacity of most companies to get their arm around. So it's not a sense of commitment. The companies are committed. The problem is um, implementation and execution against the requirements. That's the challenge. There's a question over here. Uh, I'm sorry, one and then, do we still have time? Yeah. Yes. Yes, please. So my question is more towards uh, metadata. So We've kind of glanced around metadata a little bit here and there. I just was more curious as to, how much effort is kind of devoted towards making sure metadata is correct and updated? And we've talked about how like data and variables can change over time and maybe even collection processes changed over time, um, which might make th the current accuracy a little different versus when it was collected. Um, so how much time is devoted in maybe um, for each of your positions towards making sure the metadata is up-to-date, correct, and as well as new variables, how much effort's gone into establishing that metadata? Yes, Julia. Yeah, so I see in the data management space, so I run now both kind of data, data movement, data warehouses, but also data management platforms. And in data management, this is really metadata management. Right, so it's uh, data lineage information, data minion information, data quality information, all of this is metadata. So that's a huge part. So that's kind of technology enabling, enabling of data governance and data management activities of all of those business activities that come in. It's all around data management, plat data, metadata management platform and bringing it together. So a huge part. So what I was going to say is, so there's a lot of tools out there to actually help you gather the technical metadata management. So 
you know, we spent time scanning things and now we have processes in place to update it when things change. The place where we spend a lot of time is on the business metadata mm -hmm. because that's where I need people. And I pe need people to talk to us and stop doing their day job for half an hour to tell us what's going on. And so what we did there is we took a risk-based approach because we knew we couldn't go get it all for every single process. And within the business, we have a formal process where we rank our basically our mission critical, business critical, other supporting processes. So we just started with our mission critical stuff and started working our way through it and said we need to get our business metadata for all these mission critical processes. And then we've started to work on the, the um, business critical. And then for all the other supporting, if people want to do it, we'll teach them how to do it themselves. But then after we captured all the metadata, and it's taken us a while, we've been working on this for three years, it is not happening overnight, um, is you know, then what's the ongoing process to make sure that it doesn't get stale? So again, for those owners of the data, they have an annual process they have to go through where they review all of their business metadata and they attest back to me that it's still complete and accurate or any updates or changes have been made to it. So we had to get it on a risk-based um, sort of methodology and then what's the way to keep it current? Mark, and then we'll go. Yeah, um, just one, one quick point to, to toss in there. This was an exercise I did uh, um, uh, maybe 10 years ago, um, uh, which uh, was uh, develop a little uh, framework as a, as a research exercise for data integration across risk systems. And uh, um, starting from the data, um, we recorded the metadata, which took the form of uh, SQL schemas or XML schemas. Uh, um, but then to build in this sort of uh, robust flexibility in the process, uh, we built another layer on top of meta metadata uh, to, to manage the metadata over time as, as things changed. And the epiphany for me, or one of the epiphanies, uh, there were many, um, was that the, uh, um, the amount of, uh, you know, just counting bytes on the disk, the amount of uh, space that was required to record the, the metadata um, uh, was sort of an order of magnitude uh, bigger than the, the data item it was managing. Um, and the uh, amount to record the meta metadata uh, that d described that little bit of the SQL schema was, again, an order of magnitude bigger. So it, uh, um, uh, the flexibility that comes uh, with uh, uh, managing uh, at that level also comes with, uh, with a significant cost. We have one more question, yes? So thank you all for your insights. Um, I'm a data scientist, a management consultant, and a technologist. So um, I'm interested in the, the intersection of where data scientists go out and look for and research new patterns and insights in the data, so that the, the need or the desire to do that quickly on one hand, and on the other hand, the need for governance and repeatable processes and, and sharing and disseminating that information throughout the organization. So often I see a conflict between the two, the need to move, the desire to move quick, the desire to be governed and repeatable. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you navigate that, what are best practices, and I love the FDI example. Control versus innovation. Let's just have everybody think about this because we have to end on this subject. It's a great uh, question. Uh, please, anybody who wants to uh, jump in. This is a really good question. So in our organization, we actually have uh, a technology org with engineers, and a change that was made was data engineering moved into the, the, the data vertical uh, exactly for this reason. Uh, we find that analysts and data scientists are on the cutting edge of 
creating new data sets. Sometimes there'll be some munging in Excel and there'll be this kind of ad hoc workflow. But in order to activate it and make it useful to the rest of the organization, it requires data engineering to work lockstep hand in hand with them. And and that wasn't happening when they were part of, of, of engineering. So creating a workflow where data engineering works with the analysts and data scientists, make sure that the automation is always a step behind, a sprint behind, so we can activate it quickly and there's a low latency to activation in the org. Mm -hmm. Like Peter, then Julia? Well, very shortly, I think uh, you hit, shortly, <laughs> you, 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 it's one of the best questions, I think, um, and, and this is also what I, what you just said, right, what I tr said in the beginning too, the self-service aspect, the consumerization of tools to get data from clients, to use data, to analyze data, it conflicts, right, and that brings us back to that, uh, the purpose, fit for purpose, right, so there is this crushing paradox that a company continuously has, right? On the one hand, it has to minimize costs and risk, but on the other hand, it needs to create more value from innovations that have not been identified yet. Mm -hmm. So indeed, I'm not gonna give the answer here, but this is the key, the key challenge, right? So combine regulation control risk using a top-down approach versus allowing uh, data citizens, data scientists to, to be empowered and use data and experiment with the data in a certain minimal regulatory framework. Julia. Happy oh. to have a long discussion on that. Yeah. I'm actually, I think data governance is an enabler of data science. That if you don't understand your data, how can you True. do any insights out of it? So there is a part of data, uh, data governance, data management, that's a control function. It's kind of buttoned down, let's make sure you get it from the right place and we can sign off. But there is another, the one that I think we started off is data minion. That's the whole, I, to me, like beyond the control environment and regulators and all of this, the whole point of what I do is to understand the meaning of data that the company is producing, using, and so on. And for data science to work, for data insights, for tableaus, for all of the stuff to work, people need to understand the meaning of the data that they're using. So that level of data governance is necessary no matter what you do, because if you don't understand it, then what are you producing? Mm -hmm. And how can anybody rely on it? I actually have an anecdote about it. I had a recent conversation with somebody who is in charge of analytics. And I've asked, so do you have a problem with quality of data? And I got an answer back, well, no, not really. We have so much data, we don't have to worry about quality. <laughs> and I, frankly, got scared because the results of that are published somewhere for the users, and I have no idea what the, like, <laughs> if they're good results. So to me, that's kind of the whole point of really in re kind of for the business, that's the whole point of data governance and data management. That's why I like this space. It's not just, you know, controls. It's all very important, but the really exciting part is enabling the use of the data. So let's end it right there on that perfect statement of it's all about managing meaning and enabling its use in, in analytics. So thank you to this great panel for Also, a, a big round of applause for our fantastic moderator, Mike Atkin. Thank you.